0: Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 111, recorded on June 19th of 2020. Uh, this podcast is the one where I'm your host, Don Komarechka, and we geek out about photo stuff that's been happening in the last week. It could be ethical, it could be industry, it could be new equipment or technology that we may never get our hands on, but we can geek out about all of this stuff, And uh, and with me. Is uh, the uh, Photo Geek Weekly MVP. Uh, I mean, he's been on uh, more episodes than any other guest, uh, aside from myself, uh, and I value his opinion immensely. Steve Brazzle is here today. Steve, uh, what brings you back? How are you, my
1: friend? Doing well, I
0: hope? I am. You know, I, well, yeah, yesterday was uh, uh, June 18th is my wife's birthday. Oh, tell her happy birthday for me. I will, but it's also my daughter's birthday. Um, They share the same birthday. Makes it super simple for me. Uh, But normal years, that means that's a pretty big get together with friends and family and things like that. And uh, no one came to visit aside from my mom uh, and my stepdad. And we greeted them through the window. Uh, and they stood with masks on at the end of the driveway when they presented my daughter with her, as boat. one does. Uh, yes, as one should do. Uh, and uh, then they presented her with a, a twelve volt, uh, you know, ride in car thing uh, that I always wanted as a child and never got. And so I'm, I'm envious. Um, now, well, now I have a, a, a grown ups electric car, so maybe I'm not actually that envious anymore. Well, and she would let compensate. you ride in hers. <laughs> You know, I don't think it would move forward if I was yeah, to have yeah. uh, to have. And my then there's that. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, no. So yeah, yesterday was a good family day. And uh, I I've been trying very hard to, as I'm sure you understand with this whole pandemic thing, just be isolated and at home. And some people think that's productive until you have a four year old in the house. And I am so lucky that my wife gives me the time to record this podcast every week because that gives me that hour or so of uninterrupted time where she will shush my daughter, keep a very close eye to make sure that she doesn't walk down the stairs and ask me to make her a a paper airplane or anything. There's been no interruptions in these episodes because I have that hour of vigilance and I'm so very grateful. On some of the stuff that you watch on TV, news shows and stuff, when they have some
1: expert on from their house, and a kid does walk in the room, those are some of the
0: best moments. Uh, they are—they are very unpredictable moments, and I could edit that out, but it, it hasn't happened yet, and and so we can geek on about all of our photo stuff every week. And Steve, how about you, man? Uh, how are things in California right now? Uh, things are good. Uh, we
1: just uh, implemented yesterday—the governor implemented a mandatory mask thing again, but because numbers are going up a little bit. But overall, things are great. Just staying busy. I'm like you; I stay in the house and and uh, go out for walks with my wife and. Uh, Today, the day that we're recording this is the 33rd year from the day that we met, which is interesting and uh, just having fun doing a lot of podcasting, doing a lot of streaming stuff and doing my thing with Adam L. Macias, the raw editing challenge, which is always fun and doing my own show. And then I did a thing with uh, Alex Lindsay, who we're both a fan of on on his Alex Lindsay's office hours. I would so, love yeah. to get him on this
0: podcast. He would be a great guest. Uh, I love his opinion. I agree. On
1: he would stuff. be a great guest.
0: So I'm going to have to make that happen. Um, but, uh, hey, Steve, a, a number of episodes ago, uh, we talked about uh, making a, a, uh, a lens that can basically see behind objects. Yep. Uh, using, using the Fresnel lens and using a Fresnel lens and uh uh and we also talked about uh lenses that have ridiculously wide apertures um uh, of f0.7 or was that somebody else that was on that show I can't remember but I remember talking about No that about, was me. That was definitely you know, was me as well. You're on all the good ones. Um and so in the mail I haven't received my Fresnel lens yet but I did receive this from the Ukraine and I'm, oh my I'm stressing because I'm holding up a lens that, that weighs like almost as okay, much as my Okay, so the way you're does. holding it for people to picture this, it's as big as your face, the front <laughs> yes. element. Yes, that, that, the front element is as big as my face, but it's also heavy, heavy glass and metal construction. And this is a 100 millimeter lens, okay? Uh, <laughs> that's that? the focal... This is a 100 millimeter lens. Uh, and I, I, maybe I'll take a picture of it and put it in the show notes compared to a regular 100 millimeter lens. Um, because it's F 0.7. And Oh, that's uh, the one, this is the one F 0.7. And, uh, It's not in great shape. I can see internal elements have started to either come apart or the coatings have gone on them. Um, But uh, I think it'll be well enough for at least an experiment or two when I have some free time, when my book is finished and everything else is is fine. Yeah. I mean that, that may affect the, the image quality, but you'll still be able to test light. Yes. And, I think I'm going to have a lot of fun, even just trying to figure out how to adapt that thing uh, yeah. to to a, a camera that I care about and can use creatively. Because at that weight, uh, the camera mounts to the lens, not the other way around. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, it anyway, took I you got two th- hands to lift a 100 millimeter lens. Uh, well, I mean, could, could I do it with one? Yeah, I can do it with one hand. Uh, if it's, only people could have
1: seen your face, though, during that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's... Especially it's all the way over there. Um, <laughs> so That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, th- th- that arrived. And that was uh, that was $300 uh, or so, which if I use it for a bit and turn that around and sell it again, then I can carry that forward and somebody else can experiment with it, which I think would be kind of fun. An- another lens that, uh, that I have, uh, thanks to Peter. I don't know if he wants his full name mentioned, but uh, he has offered me at a very, very good price a Nikon 105 millimeter uh, ultraviolet Rayfact lens, which used to be called the UV Nikkor. It is designed from the ground up to let ultraviolet light pass through it. Uh, In doing so, all of the optics are made of quartz lenses uh, rather than the normal silica glass or fluorite glass or whatever else. So it's all quartz based to allow higher ultraviolet transmission um, for which I'm hoping that I can find a day in the coming week to carve out a new video for uh dp review tv at least to record it on uh ultraviolet patterns in flowers uh that uh you can see with the appropriate lens and uh the appropriate filters and a uh, full spectrum modified camera and that you, lens you need to tell play. people where they can find the dp review stuff so that would be uh, youtube.com slash dp review tv uh, and, uh, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes with some of the episodes that I've done previously. Thank you for that, uh, uh that recommendation. Well, because that it's good know content. I mean,
1: really, in all honesty, everything that they do, in my opinion, at least is some of the best content that you'll find.
0: Well, I, I think so. I mean, Chris and Jordan, the main two hosts there, uh, they hit it out of the park almost all the time. Uh, rarely do I watch an episode where I disagree with them. And if I do, it's, it's a creative, not a technical disagreement. And, and you know uh, why? Their attitude. It
1: comes across. They are yeah. having fun with it. They're not taking it too seriously, but they approach
0: it seriously. So it, it's that kind of a thing. Their attitudes really just come across well. Exactly. And so I'm waiting on that lens, which should arrive in the next day or two. Uh, at which point, uh, that gives me the ability to have infinity focus, which is something that, with some of the other lenses that I have uh, that function well in ultraviolet reflectance, to do the close ups of flowers. I didn't have a good lens to handle infinity focus. So now I can put a uh, 105 millimeter regular camera recording right next to one recording in ultraviolet reflections of me to see the world differently as if you're looking at me. And I can like try to put sunscreen on my arm or something and you can see how it blocks ultraviolet light. And then we can go into the patterns and flowers that insects and hummingbirds have just been proven to be able to see as well. So uh, that's I'm going to have fun geeking out over that. But um, hey, let's get into our stories, shall we? We've got some good stuff to talk about today. The first one actually goes back to last week's episode when we talked about Shutterstock changing their business model. Um, And uh, Steve, give us the quick recap, if you can, on that. Okay, so Shutterstock, which is a popular stock photography site, they have
1: lots and lots and lots of contributors. And I actually, I should probably specify up front in the years that you and I have been doing photography, we have seen massive changes in stock photography as far as rates to the creators go. Yep. Once we started getting micro stock, that kind of changed everything. Well, Shutterstock, which is one of the big ones, have modified the, I'm going to call it commission rates effectively that they're paying to contributors. Yep. And not only the rate itself, but how that rate is actually paid. And not only are they changing the percentages that you get, changing how you get it as far as it used to be, the more money you sold overall, the more percentage you got. Right. Now they're doing it based on a time frame. And here's the big thing that they announced it's, to it's me. It's based on the image, not on the account. Right, Based That's on the to image. The For shift. each image is independent. But here's the big thing. There's tiers now. And the stupidest thing to me is that on January 1st, every single creator on Shutterstock gets reset to tier number one pay, and then you have to spend the next few months of each year building, even if you're there, overall, Shutterstock's top seller, January 1st, you're equal with everybody, and you have to spend the next amount of time selling the photos to try and regain
0: right, your, but it's, your income. But, the, the worst part about it is, is it's image levels. It's not account levels. You don't have a tier three account, a tier four account. It's based on the image itself. And so um, if you previously were getting- Actually, that's a, not how I understand it. It's number of image licenses
1: in a calendar year. Um, so it's overall- w- ima- So if you've licensed 100 images, up to 100 images, your tier one, as soon as you've licensed your
0: 101st image, you go to tier two uh of that same image. It is a per image basis now. It says image levels, not account levels. Uh and so previously it was if you really slogged through and you built up a portfolio um that had you know 10,000 downloads or more and you you were able to get to a higher tier. I think they've always had tiers. See, Many I'm of these companies that have had tiers. You. Um, and uh and and so anyhow, uh l- let's Let's move on to the follow-up that we wanted to get to. Yeah, this is, is the, this
1: is the interest. And let me just say ahead of time, because I wasn't on that episode, resetting everybody to tier one on January 1st is like a company saying, "We have we give employees raises when they are good, solid employees and work for a long period of time because they've earned it. And we actually provide those raises. But now you're the most expensive employee. And so we're going to let you go or cut your pay. Right. It's, it's just the weirdest process.
0: Right. And, and the previous one was your lifetime's earning as a contributor, and it had four tiers. Uh, and now you have six tiers, and it's based on image levels. And so right. I think that there, there's a disparity there. But um, there has been a stock coalition that has come about to basically shame them and take action against them and basically tell people to go elsewhere. Or maybe not at all. Um, So, and to quote the article uh, by Sunday, June 14th. Uh, large numbers of contributors including some with substantial and popular portfolios have already de- deactivated their work at Shutterstock some have uh, even closed their accounts and then it says yeah with others completely deleting their accounts and so hooray uh, don't let a company like Shutterstock get away with just tearing you down as uh, as an individual that's taking more out of the sale than you're getting number one I mean they like even in their new level level six, if you have over 25,000 downloads of, of an image, you're only getting 40% of what's being made. Most right. people will be at level one for any particular image, which is only 15% of what's often only a few dollars. Right. Uh, and and by the way, you could you could, within a year, you could
1: make it to the 40% level. Let's just say hypothetically, you make it to the 40% level. January 1st, You suddenly take a 25% pay cut. Yep. Yeah, who does that? And right (laughs) now there's this big debate over the Apple App Store and the fact that Apple takes 30% and you get 70%. And as creators here, we're lucky if we get, you know, 85% of what's being made. Again, this is kind of one of those things where you're ending up a victim of doing a good job. And some of the comments that I've seen are people, or or actually, I think even Shutterstock said, this will incentivize the creation of timely content. And I thought, you're missing the point. In photography, there is no timely content. If I find an image through a search, because I'm looking for a pair of roller skates, and I find an image that's 10 years old, but it fits the need that I have, I don't care. Plus, real stock photographers who do it for a living and actually have a stock
0: photography portfolio are constantly shooting new content. I have licensed images for well over a thousand dollars independently when people contact me and I I weigh exactly what they want uh, the image for. You know, is it for a marketing campaign? Is it to print on a product? Uh, is it to just be as a social media post somewhere? Um, and there are some images that I don't license, like the, one of my more famous images, uh, maple leaf flag, which Your flag, resembles right? the Canadian flag uh, of red real maple leaves on a bed of fresh snow. I don't license that image uh, because I don't want it entangled with political, corporate, private interests in any way that don't represent me. And I use that image as my own branding. Um, And that image is stolen so often. Uh, That's a discussion for another time. But uh, when I do license my work, I license it myself. Uh, and there's, there is a few of my snowflake images up on science source stock. Um, and they charge higher rates because it's niche content. And I'll occasionally get a check in the mail because they sold one license and I'll get 30 or $40 from a single license sale from them. And they take their cut from that too, but it's not the pennies that I would be getting from somebody like Shutterstock. Um, and so we should probably say the goal of this
1: group, as it were. Uh, which they had a name for the group. What was the name for the group?
0: Uh, the Stock Coalition. Yeah. So their idea is a
1: deactivation day, but it's not really a day. They want to shut down Shutterstock from the week that we're recording this, the 15th through the 21st.
0: That's yeah. a power. If they do that, that's a powerful statement. It, the, I mean, the power is in the users. It, it, the. It's like you can vote. I mean, you can say to the platform, hey, you are going against what we want as contributors in the worst possible way. So we vote no. We go away and your platform dissolves. Well, and not only that,
1: the users are saying that in the forums on Shutterstock. And talk about just the 100% wrong approach. One of the top contributors was making comments, Arguing the point, debating with people in the forums and got an email or a private message. I'm not sure which it was. I think it was an email uh, from somebody at Shutterstock readily admitting, if you continue this, we're going to delete your posts. It's like you have a forum for people to voice and now you're going to actually mute them that's just the wrong yeah
0: you were sh- you shot yourself in one foot and you're hobbling forward and now you're shooting yourself in the other foot uh, and throwing nails on the ground for yourself to step on <laughs> yeah. yeah it's Okay. Sure. Uh, Shutterstock and other companies with the same business metrics and mentalities. uh, I don't need you in my life. And I also uh, don't need you to be taking advantage of photographers that I care about. People that are trying to eke out a living or just get started and being preyed upon. Because I... I mean, it's my opinion that this kind of practice is predatory for people that are just getting started uh, yeah. and they might not ever meet the threshold for a payout. I don't even know if they have pay, uh, payout thresholds, but I know a lot of other people do. And it was like I, I had uh, like $40 sitting in a Dreamstime account for the longest time. Uh, And it was below the $50 payout threshold at that time. And I could never get that money unless I continued to license. And again, and I just said goodbye to it.
1: If you take analogies from this, imagine if you would, a baseball player that is the top in the league doing fantastic year over year. And in the market, we know they go for a bigger contract each time. But the major league baseball coming back and saying, you know what? January 1st of each year at the beginning of each season we're going to reset everybody to the union base level of you know whatever $250,000 a year and then you'll be able to make your 10 20 million that later that year if you still perform that would never happen it's it's <laughs> no, ludicrous no. yeah um, you know telling uh, telling Metallica you know what you haven't released a new album in a year so we're going to reset we we're going to reset you you can play Madison Square Garden for $50,000 <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous yeah.
0: and no other industry does that work yeah none. um let's talk about other crazy ideas shall we the first real story uh that's not a follow-up uh, of new news this week I reported on dp review uh the l16 camera manufacturer light abandons consumer imaging and turns to automotive so I'm sure people have seen, if you are a photo geek as we are, we've talked about it before, um, the uh, The light L16 camera, which had, like, I, I'm assuming, uh, I'm not actually going to count them and confirm this right now, that it had 16 cameras. It uh, had all, actually, and the key distinction there is it was 16
1: cameras,
0: not lenses.
1: Yes. It was so 16, 16 individual cameras.
0: Yes. All crammed into something the size of your smartphone, assuming you have a larger smartphone because it wasn't actually that small, but it's smartphone oriented in terms of what it looks like. And the majority of one side of it is just all of this random array of different sized lenses, some bigger and smaller, uh, that uh, then computationally would create a high resolution image. And in theory, if you had the right brain behind it, um, this could completely usurp everything else on the market. But the brain would have to be so artificially, you need a quantum computer to properly build the image uh, in a moment's notice. And we just are not there yet. And so well, I think that... Oh, one one on.
1: of the key points that needs to be made for those people who haven't seen it, it did 4K video, and the idea of the multiple lenses was depth mapping and artificial zooming from 35 to 150 millimeters. But the first phone that it was actually in was the Nokia 9 PureView, and that was five lenses on that one. Yeah, All of those lenses were actually 28 millimeter F1.8 12 megapixels. So they were yeah, actually they were
0: all the same size, yeah. which is interesting to me. Well, and so uh, that kind of makes me question, well, why were they using different focal lengths and different lenses, formulas on their own product? And then maybe that was such a complete failure, they decided to simplify that in the Nokia 9 PureView. But even that didn't give any advantage because what are you doing? You're just duplicating all of these lenses and then your software that was tuned for something else is now being used here. But what is it actually accomplishing at that point that another manufacturer can't already do? Um... So they've shut it down, Uh, or at least in the consumer-facing side of things. Well, but in the
1: camera-facing side and phone-facing side, but but we got to throw money in here, right? Right. When they started this company in 2015, they got a $30 million funding round. Oh, it was huge. And then when they teamed up with Somi and, and uh, how do you pronounce it? Uh, Iomi? Uh, uh, Xiaomi, I think. Xiaomi. When they teamed up with Somi and Xiaomi, they get a hundred and
0: twenty-one million dollar funding, including stuff money from Leica, which is like ridiculous. I mean okay, you need that amount of money to do something audacious like this, right? Uh to really break the mold. But to what end? Um, and, and here's my and, thought. And to what end to say, I'm done with phones. What, what are, yeah. what are investors thinking right now? Well, it all depends on what talent they attracted and what patents they made. True, I really think it boils down to the, the, the technology at a fundamental level that they were able to corner and patent because that then is the only value that they have that could translate into another market. And so they are talking now uh, to enter into the automotive space. Uh, but I don't think they're really going to... I just I have a hard time believing that a company can make that flip when the automotive companies already have all established partners. They have not proven that any of their tech works in that transition, at least to our uh, publicly facing knowledge. And I think uh, my opinion... They want to be sold. They, the investors, want their money back, uh, and they want to sell this to somebody else already established in the automotive space, so that they could take advantage of any talent that they've accrued, as well as patents and lights out. This, this yeah, lights out.
1: This is an aqua hire. That's basically what this is. Another company is going to buy this company to get the assets of human resource and patents, but. The automotive space, you brought this up and it's so real. Think about when CarPlay and Android Auto first came out and some companies went with it and some didn't, but Toyota was very specific. We are not going to do these. We want to maintain the, even though their interfaces are horrible, oh, yeah. right? I have they a RAV4. They wanted to maintain <laughs> the interface to their client on the dashboard, even if they didn't know how to write software. And- Finally, just in the last two years, Toyota's kind of come around. Automobile companies are notorious for being resistant to new companies coming in and saying, we want to play in your car. We want a piece of your dashboard and resisting that or a piece of your technology and resisting that. I don't. What's the goal here? Are they are they intending in autonomous cars to replace LiDAR? with their camera arrays. I don't see that happening.
0: Well, uh, LIDAR has been proven to be less effective in certain ways. uh, But in other cases, if you were to have stereo uh, input from cameras, you would have much better depth perception similar to LIDAR. uh, And that's not implemented in vehicles uh, manufactured by Tesla and others that are really pioneering um, this uh, autonomous vehicle craze. You'd have to go, rather than going to uh, a GM, uh, Toyota, et cetera, type of company, you'd have to go to a new upstart, whether that be, you want to be bought out by Tesla because this is appealing to them right. and they want to roll that into whatever the next product is, or uh, a competitor that hasn't even started shipping products yet, like Rivian, um, or that-
1: a lower name brand that wants to elevate
0: themselves by feature tech, like a Hyundai or something like that, that don't already have established connections. Exactly. Uh, and so that, that's what I was kind of getting at, and and maybe maybe they will survive, um, but just like uh, Lytro, uh, that was innovative in the camera space, very similar name actually, uh, that was doing depth field uh, computational photography uh, with their beautiful uh, concepts. But nobody really wanted or needed it. They, they were developing technology that didn't have a use that people were clamoring over saying, finally, I have a camera with 16 lenses and sensors. Right. Why Just has this I've taken so long? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: and in my pocket. What's interesting is they had a comment on their about page. And it's always funny to me how when, when you take shifts like this that are key you know, moments in a company. And you put it in front of a marketing or a PR person and say, phrase this in a way that'll make sense. And what they came up with was Light is a depth sensing and perception technology company focused on providing automobiles with the ability to see like humans. And all I could picture was
0: the grill of a car (laughs) with 16 different size cameras in the grill of the car. I mean, they'd behi- be behind some smoked screen shield so you couldn't see it, obviously, from a design perspective, if that's how they wanted to implement it. But even that, uh, I mean, again, the computational power to even deal with the uh, the few cameras around uh, my Tesla Model 3, uh, th- that's huge. I mean, there, there's a very, very powerful machine driving that and it's still being fine tuned and it, it hasn't gotten it to the point where the car can drive itself. And I, honestly, in our weather here in Canada, I don't know if it will ever be right. because if it's if it's a bright, sunny Californian afternoon, that's fine. But if it's the same day and we have a blizzard here, there's no car that could even see the lines on the road you know we're love, all love just guessing <laughs> yeah we're we're guessing based on the tracks of where the previous cars were and if you've ever driven on highways here you'll know that a three-lane highway quickly becomes a two-lane highway arbitrarily because you're just driving in the tracks of the cars from before and the lines are invisible anymore and no car has been trained to deal with that yep. so anyhow um good luck in the automotive space light uh we wish hardly you well you. <laughs> yeah, exactly um. All right. So lens rentals, the next story here. Oh, also I'm anxious from for this one. Um, I, I, I love Roger Sakala and, and his team at lens rentals. Cause they, they tear stuff apart and put them back together as per their business of fixing things, seeing how repairable certain things are uh, and testing to make sure that things come back in proper condition so that they could send it out in the, right. in the right, in the right shape. So lens rentals discovers cracked sensor mounts, inside of some of its Sony a seven series rental fleet. And I, I guess, um, they were just testing stuff as lens rentals is always testing everything. Uh, you know, cranking that testing knob up to 11, testing everything from, uh, I think they bought, what was it? Like a, a quarter million dollar, uh, uh Uh, array of of laser things I forget what the word was uh, in order to test lenses properly and they're one of the only people in North America that have one Um, so they go overboard with testing and I love it and they found some outliers in some Sony cameras and they decided to take a closer look at what exactly was happening with those outliers because you know some of them are like really on the extremes and they they shouldn't necessarily be there Uh, how did they find it Steve and what did they find?
1: So, first of all, for those people who have not seen what these people do to cameras, it's <laughs> kind of like the I fix it for cameras. Yeah. They they share all the information and it's so cool to see what they find. And what they found was a concerning percentage, is the way that they worded it. They tested a total of 487 Sony full frame and, and APC bodies. What was interesting to me actually was the A9 and the APC bodies all looked quote unquote marvelous. But with the A7 uh, series, they were seeing cracks of different types. So some of the cameras, some of the what they called large outliers, had fractures between the sensor mount and the in-body image stabilization. A couple of the bodies simply had some screws that were loose.
0: Or clips that have come out of their little clippy attachment thing.
1: One of them had the clip out. Uh, Some of them had metal fatigue fractures. That was an interesting one to me. So when you look at all of this, it makes me wonder where the design flaw is in the A7 series cameras, except with all the flaws that they found. And these are major flaws. If you look at the pictures, these these aren't just cracks. Like you see a piece of plastic and you see a crack in it. The crack had gone. They are fractures, right? It's not just a crack in the plastic. It yeah, broke it's all the way separated. through and the yeah. piece is now offset, right? Yeah. They are no longer lined up and yet
0: the cameras all still worked. <laughs> and they all still worked marvelously and i mean you're finding some outliers in very rigorous very precise testing where your focus might be off just a tiny fraction based on what uh what it's expecting to be uh, you know because right. the sensor might not be perfectly flat anymore so thereby your focal plane is slightly shifted uh and your focus is not overly consistent but i, I was actually surprised as to see how drastic some of these shifts look because you're right, to the complete eye. fractures right. to, to, to the eye. Uh, but to have the cameras still function that if you were not a total pixel peeping mad right. scientist with the proper equipment to detect something wrong, you would think there's nothing wrong with your camera. And they had a few I, complaints, though, but they were minor complaints of either a little
1: bit of softness or the in-body image stabilization not working as expected, which makes sense. But- Still, that's not bad. The percent we we should probably, in Sony's defense, two percent of the Sony's had lens mount issues. One point six percent had sensor mount issues. But here's the problem: I don't know how many Sony A seven series were sold.
0: Well, but here's what is two percent of so, total sales? That's that, a that's lot a, of people. It's a significant number. However, also know that. Um, Steve, do you treat a rental car like you treat a car that you own? Oh, nobody does. People, <laughs> people don't slow down for speed bumps in a rental car. Exactly. So uh, this is a rental fleet. Of cameras. And so you could understand that the level of damage here is probably going to be higher uh, than, than the level of damage in a babied camera uh, that is always coddled, always having its lens caps on, uh, and always placed into a camera bag. Which the is lens- the one
1: note that was interesting to me I didn't see. And maybe I missed it. But when in the article, when they talk about Canon,
0: Meaning not the article that's on DP Review, but the actual Lens Rental article. Yeah, because DP Review focuses just on Sony, but there's a Canon section uh, on the Lens Rental's article itself. In that Canon section, they mention, you know, what they found in Canons,
1: and they actually mention some of the ones that had problems clearly had been dropped. Yeah. There's no mention of that, which again, you're not going to treat a rental like your own body, right? I'm guessing some of these Sonys had been dropped. Is it possible to assume that 2% had been dropped and they just didn't mention
0: signs of drop. Oh, I, I could imagine. Uh, but how many times uh, would a camera like fall off of a chair? So a, r- a relatively low height to the floor, you pick it up, you're worried, you turn it back on, whew, everything just looks fine. Um, and then you carry on. Uh, and then if things are soft, you think, well, well, maybe that one time when I dropped the camera had some impact, but that's on me now. And you, uh, you just carry on with your life. Um, they Still, only tested though, these, Sony these and These
1: an A7 is an expensive body.
0: Well, and they said in the article too, that, uh, 1D X Mark IIs, two crop sensor bodies had issues on the Canon side of things as well. Right. I could imagine a 1D series camera body is going to be the most abused camera body, uh, in the Canon lineup. Uh, I know I, when I had one of those uh, exact models, I did not treat it kindly. Um, not cause I was just being mean to it. It's just, I knew it could take the abuse. Uh, it was designed for it. And, uh, and so it, it's stuck it out through its, uh, it's lifetime with me before I sold it on. The, um, the tool you were looking at for the name was Dens, a Dens Dens. Tool. Yeah. Yes. Dens tool. Uh, and, and so they, uh, Lens Rentals, I love what they do. And I love when they come up with articles like this because nobody is going to publish this kind of content. And because they do it and it gets a spotlight on these particular problems, it has, when I loaded up these stories, over 600 comments on DP review. And so Sony now has this very negative spotlight on their most popular line of cameras. And so whatever the next a seven camera is, it's going to have these problems fixed and they wouldn't have ever fixed this globally unless that spotlight was put on them. So thank you, Roger and lens rentals for making this come to light. It reminds
1: me of backblaze publishing their hard drive specs every year. It's just wonderful when this type of information is shared publicly, but I agree with the the first comment that I see on the article on uh, on DP Review is from Gmon750. I'm curious if these cracks are related to an engineering problem or an outside factor like the camera being dropped. In reality, it doesn't matter. If it's 2%, that's still a large amount. And it's something Sony needs to, in my opinion, I don't know if they need to publicly address it. They probably should, but they definitely need to internally check it.
0: Yeah, uh, and change the, the materials or the way that their designs are tested for uh, drops and breaks and things like that so that whatever material that they use to replace these brackets and mounts uh, will sustain. I, I, we, they didn't test Pentax. They didn't test Nikon. We don't know how the other manufacturers fare, but um, let, let's harp on Sony a little bit more here. Shall we? With, with well, the and that's story. the thing.
1: Make sure that you don't use Sony SD cards in these cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So the next story <laughs> is a Sony product advisory because they will own up to when things start to fail. Uh, and so this is from Petapixel. These popular SD cards can corrupt your footage. And so this is um uh reported uh at uh Shutter Muse that there are three affected cards, the regular, uh I guess they're cheaper cards, the uh, SF-M cards, the tough SF-M, and the tough SF-G. I don't like how Sony just randomly throws letters of the alphabet into their product names, but uh I'm not going to be able to change their opinion on that. So that's just what's been affected. Um, the tough brand of cards. Now, these are the, the better cards from Sony. You, you expect, Steve, we talk to people often. And in fact, uh, off the record, like off the conversation uh, on the podcast, we've had conversations with people in the last little while that have lost data off of memory cards or portable yep. hard drives. And to try and help them get their data back is sometimes impossible. There was one case uh, where the files looked like the regular file size, but they were just all written as zeros. Yeah, it was a guy who reached out to you and I via email. Yep. And
1: we got him to send a file in and Don opened the file in a hex editor and it was nothing but zeros.
0: Yeah, well, it still showed megabytes of data. I actually ran it through EXIF tool, which is a wonderful tool from Phil Harvey. Uh, and, uh, it generated an error in there saying that file is all zeros. And that's just some little flag that Phil had put in there at some point to say, Hey, there's nothing here. Right. And we're going to identify that with a line in the output. I was hoping that I would at least, if, if the tool had EXIF data, um, or if the image had exif data still in there, the exif tool would be able to pull that information out. And that would be the hint that, hey, there's still something there. Maybe I could somehow recover the data. And my thought was, um, if the image was just unreadable, what I would do is I would take exif data from a readable image, the entirety of it, and copy it over to this corrupted image as a way to uncorrupt the file. Um, But there was nothing to uncorrupt because it was all zeros. And uh, there's a uh, continue. No, I was just going to say,
1: you know, then we had one. I just talked with Jeff Harmon of Master Photography Podcast about a guy that in one of the posts had a similar issue. He had copied his images to an external drive, went back months later. There was no icon on the drive and he couldn't open it put a screenshot up where it was I'm I'm trying to remember the number it was they were these were actually multi-layered tiff files from photoshop and it was something to the effect of 879.1 megabytes still i mean the size was there two days later when we couldn't figure it out i remote controlled into his machine and now those files were zero things happen with imagery and things happen with any storage format it's kind of like when They first came out with the EOS R and people complained, oh, it's only got one card slot. And a lot of people went, I've never had a card fail on me. I'm not really worried about it only having one card slot. But this is the point. And that is cards fail. They really do fail. And in this case, the card is technically not failing. That's a key distinction. The card is not dying. And it doesn't say anything in this article about still imagery. No, it's It's just video. Corruption video, video. If you use these cards in the advertised V60 or V90 video speed class mode, the data simply may not be recorded correctly. Yeah. So this isn't even a failed card. This is why in some cases you want two card slots and maybe even I would argue at this point, if you've got a Sony Tough
0: card in one slot, put a SanDisk card in the other. Yeah, vary the brands they'll hopefully be using different controllers you know i i actually use some sony uh, memory i've got a, a sony uh, atom x uh it's a, it's a mini ssd cartridge designed to be used with uh the uh atomos ninja v uh, or ninja 5 however you want to interpret right. that uh they've never clarified that for me but uh, the, the the media itself um i was uh, going to do a firmware update on on the ninja and so I plugged this. I didn't have a reader at the time. So I plugged it directly into a SATA uh, port inside my computer and um, copied the uh, the data over. And, and SATA uh, should be hot pluggable. You can plug something and you can pull it out uh, and it should work just fine. So... I plug it in, the data's there 100%, I unplug it, I put it in the Ninja V, and the way that it does a firmware update is as soon as it starts up, it looks for a firmware file and it automatically updates, and it did nothing. I thought that was strange, so I took out the um, the cartridge and I plugged it back into the computer. The file's not there. It was there. It was copied to the device. I double-checked and confirmed it, but as soon as I unplugged it, it went away, And then I tried again, you know, as as you're an IT person, you start troubleshooting. Okay, well, copy it there, then turn off the computer completely and unplug that device. And the file was there. You don't know what weird quirks and glitches might exist within a system. So then I bought the USB um, SATA adapter from Atmos. Uh, and I've had no similar issues whatsoever. I'm using the right equipment for that, and it might have been a drive controller issue. It might have been a driver issue. I don't know what the problem was, and I will never know because- that's, uh, And that's a key point, by the way. You will yeah. never know. Yeah. And does it uh, matter? If, well, it,
1: like, like In this particular case, if I had a, a, one of these Sony cards, and it corrupted video I did on a client's job, and I only had one card slot in my camera, and I didn't have a backup of the data- I now have to tell the client I need to shoot again. Now, co- Sony is saying they'll replace these cards for free, but do you even want one? Because well, I've lost I, my trust. I mean, Sony's had, a, Sony's had a tough week. I'll give them it, that.
0: Yeah, their, their brand is a little tarnished right now, especially when you have a specifically branded tough card that fails. Um, your, and- your
1: marketing pictures show you holding it in water. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And under regular conditions, it does not perform. Now, I mean, I've used memory cards from a number of different companies over the years that I haven't had any issues with. Um, Sony has not been one of them, but I've I've never used a Sony card, I should say. What Um, do you use? uh, SanDisk is uh, what I've used for years, didn't have a problem with it. Panasonic sponsors me now, and so they've uh, they've given me some cards to experiment with, uh, and uh, I I actually bought uh, one. I bought the uh, 128 gigabyte uh, CF Express card from Panasonic, and so that was that was pretty fun to uh, to get that particular card uh, and test it out on the uh, the S1R, and it does perform a lot better than the XQD cards in terms of speed. Uh, and I just I feel like that's a very reliable card, right? Um, based on what they're you know they're they're basing their brand uh, uh, around it. Uh, Sony is too, and so I mean you could put that argument either way. Well, and um, in their defense, again. A week ago, if we were talking about
1: Sony Tough cards and we had both used them, we may have said, I believe they're great cards. I mean, they are made by human and batches go bad. I mean, anything can happen, but still, like I'm a SanDisk user now. I use almost nothing but the SanDisk Pros or the Extremes. Used to use Lexar, had a couple of problems, nothing major.
0: Well, L- Lexar, remember, is not the same brand as it once was. Right. Uh, it, uh, I think it was uh, Micron that closed down their uh, their partnership with that. It was bought by a Chinese group of people that I believe, if memory serves, hired back some of the same people. Um, but then a lot of the other executives went on to make the pro-grade uh series of cards which is technically more lexar than lexar is today and prograde
1: i know a couple people who use prograde and love them yeah but if you want your card replaced what you want to do is you want to look at the back of your card and there will be an asterisk in the bottom corner bottom left corner of your card or not if you have the asterisk
0: you're okay it is not an asterisk. M- it is a five-pointed star. An asterisk has. Yeah. Six. Okay. So a star. Yeah, a star. Um, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, that. I'm being pedantic here.
1: Well, I mean, on on my computer, the if you type an asterisk, key, it comes out as a five-pointed star. Uh, so okay. Okay. it's not. You know, it doesn't look like a a hex key or a star bit. Um, but either way, if you don't have it, it could be affected, and you need to go look up your serial number. And I'm just going to put the number in here. You can pause, re- rewind, and play it back. The support article on this on Sony site is 0246463. That's zero zero two four six four six three, the Sony support article ID.
0: And I've also used in terms of cards, um Angelbird is a less known company. Um, now Angelbird well, what makes- What is that co- again? Uh, this is an SD card. Uh, They also make um, uh, cartridges for the Ninja V. They're in the more professional video space of things angel bird um, and I have here a 256 gigabyte v90 card rated to be guaranteed 300 megabytes per second of, uh, of throughput on a 256 gigabyte card uh, not many people at least at the time that I purchased it were even able to produce cards with those specs um, and especially if you're shooting video you want to over spec what you buy because you they'll often advertise what the maximum is Uh, the v90 tells you really what the minimum would be Um, but if the card is beyond what you need in every possible way then that's probably the card that you want to use you don't want to be riding the limits of what you actually need because you might hit it and then your your data might get corrupted or uh, your video might stop recording at a time where it'll cost you money um, as a result
1: interesting i'd not heard of Angel bird before.
0: Uh, yeah, they've been flawless for me. I've, I've also have a, a cartridge for the Ninja V that, uh, uh, that is by them. And uh, the SD cards, they are expensive. Uh, don't, huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a 256 gigabyte uh, a SD card can be much, much cheaper than the one that I bought. Um, but uh, I guess they're playing on their brand reputation and the best, using only the best quality components to uh, charge the best are the, the most expensive prices.
1: They match them to the camera brands. They have one listed here on B&H, the 256 gigabyte match pack for the Panasonic. Then they have another one that is a, a match pack for the Fuji X-T3. That's interesting.
0: And I'm not sure if that's actually necessary to be matching them to a particular camera, but- Hugely it, different cost too. But it guarantees the performance with the camera that you're buying. And if it's for video, uh, it's much more persnickety than for stills because you'll just fill your camera buffer and then, okay, well, I'll wait an extra second or two. But if, if you reach that buffer in video, then, uh, whatever you were shooting is no longer something viable anymore. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So Sony, get your act together, uh, on, on multiple fronts. (laughs) All which right. which uh,
1: brings us to the animal story.
0: Uh, well, I always like, if, if it's available this week, to put in a fun story at the end. Steve, uh, do you like Komodo dragons? I've never met one in person, but I have uh, no reason not to sit down and have a drink with one. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, this is from Petapixel. Robot, quote, spy pig camera destroyed by <laughs> territorial Komodo dragons after some, uh, and they're not putting this in the title, but it was after they had some mating, uh, disputes amongst males that were full of, uh, uh, of hormones, um, that came across a pig, um, as if you were just being kicked out the back doors of a bar and you're looking for a fight, you're going to punch whatever you can find. Not that I have any experience doing that. The bar scene is not mine, but, um, Okay, describe how they're collecting this footage, Steve. What lengths do these documentary filmmakers go through to get footage of Komodo dragons uh, and their courtship endeavors? So, first of all, just robot spy pig camera
1: is a phrase (laughs) I honestly would have told you a year ago I would never utter, but now I am. It's a BBC PBS show called Spy in the Wild, and this is actually Spy in the Wild 2. Episode number three, what they did was they mounted the spy cam on what appears to be a wild boar. They're calling it a pig. It it almost looks wild boar, although I don't see tusks now that I
0: think about it, but could be female. I don't think they all have tusks. I think it may be, but you
1: see what I mean? It kind of looks a little more wild than that, and it must be for where it is. You're not going to take a domestic pig and throw it next to a bunch of Komodo dragons, but they mounted the camera on the pig. And the pig sat there and watched two male Komodo dragons in a fight. When they were done with the fight, the Komodo
0: dragons turned on the pig. Now, the pig was not just like a pinata. The pig so this was is a an,
1: real walking pig.
0: It's animatronic. Okay. So yeah. they, they have built the ability for this creature to move about. Right. Hopefully, uh, I, am assuming to find the right position to change its angles for the cameras, um, and, uh, equipped with cameras, uh, in, in various angles as well. And yeah, I, uh, I, we should say up front, no pigs were actually harmed. during yeah. <laughs> this. But, but
1: effectively the thing, it looks real. It just looks stiff.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so they, the real pigs ran away. Uh, the spy pig stayed in place and was the victim of an assault. And we got to see, uh, inside the throat of a Komodo dragon because, uh, it tried to eat it or put its mouth right around one of the cameras and so on. Um, and that's pretty unique footage. You know, the fact that their little robot pig was decimated. Oh, the, the cameras were still functioning up to the end. So there's some salvageability there. I well, just found it fascinating. That It was amazing. That
1: And they, what was interesting yeah. to me was the Komodo dragon, like, was grabbing it. And again, bit right over a camera. You could see inside the mouth. And if, if you don't know Komodo dragons, venom, their saliva is toxic. Uh, the article said they have like 50 types of toxic bacteria in their mouth, which is interesting. But, and and even though you know it's a, again, I'm going to say it again, robot spy pig camera, it's still kind of uncomfortable to watch because the pig looks really real. Yeah. Except the when they swing it and the legs just stay totally straight <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and this was not their only robot. They also had a Komodo dragon robot as well um, that was left unscathed from the incident. Uh, so they had multiple robot creatures trying to film these Komodo dragons, uh, in their natural habitat, doing their natural things. And, you know, I've gone to some lengths to shoot documentary film footage, but nowhere near, uh, what these guys are doing. Like I just bought a chest freezer to shoot some freezing soap bubble footage for a client in June, And they just wanted something fresh, exclusive to them uh, for a project I can't even describe. I'm under an NDA, but uh, I am in the process of succeeding, meaning that I have not yet succeeded uh, of getting them that footage in the middle of summer right now. I believe I think I I might need some dry ice to help me out, Um, but if I can get what they need, then uh, that more than covers the cost of the chest freezer, uh, freezer that I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll fill with bacon, you know, tying it back to the story uh, <laughs> after this is all said and done. Robot bacon uh, camera. Uh, if only there was such a thing. Seriously, I mean, though, I, I
1: have to <laughs> implore people, understand what you're watching is not real. It's not a real pig. It's still actually kind of weirdly uncomfortable at times. Yeah. Because there's this weird feeling that the Komodos still think that it's a pig. And the, the narrator is great, right? I mean, you're talking BBC. So it's the the accent and everything. The, the Komodo dragons gave up because it didn't taste good. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. You need to go watch this
0: video because it's pretty funny. And it's only a couple of minutes long, so it's definitely worthwhile uh, watching this little segment. And it makes them look like giant dinosaurs. Oh, and it's awesome. I mean, yeah, because the the angle of view is so low. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, Just awesome. Yeah, uh, they they did a good job on that. And uh, everybody involved in engineering that spy pig, kudos to you. Spy in Uh, the Wild 2, episode number three. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to watch more of this whole Spy in the Wild series. It just sounds like I would get a kick out of everything that they're doing there. Uh, All right. Well, let's get into our picks of the week. But before we do, uh, let's do a tiny bit of housekeeping. I want to talk about uh, where people can find you, Steve, including the critique show that we do on roughly a monthly basis. So fill us in.
1: Okay, so uh, first of all, I am at Steve Brazel. That's at Steve Brazel. With it's like the country, country Brazil, but two L's. Either on Twitter or Instagram. The podcast is at Behind the Shot TV on either one of those, and uh, the podcast itself is at Behind the Shot TV, where you can find all the normal episodes. But Don and I do once a month right now critique shows, image critique shows. And if you want to get in on this, I'll tell you where you can find it in a minute. But if you want to get in on this, you need to go over to Flickr, join the Flickr group. Uh, When you join Flickr, you do not have to do the paid account, although they could use all the help they, they could get right now. So if you want to do the pro account, great. But you don't have to. You can sign up for the free account. Once you're a Flickr member, find the behind the shot group, join the group, start submitting your images. Now, if you just submit images, that's great. Other people can like your images, comment on your images. We will not take them for the critique show, because it's possible you just want to jump in the pool and swim, and you don't really want to have you know your your skills assessed. If you want your images to be in the pool that we choose from for the critique shows, tag them with the word BTS critique, all one word. It's a Flickr tag, not a hashtag. Flickr has their own tagging system, and we pull from those to do the critiques. And this month, the month of June, early this month. We did our first episode with a guest critiquer, and that was Troy Miller, who was on your last episode of of, uh, Photo Geek Weekly as well, and had an absolute blast having a third voice. And so I'm going to try and get each month a different third person to join Don and I to do these critique shows.
0: It's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, if you haven't watched one of them, uh, just, I mean, put it on while you're editing your own work in the background, and maybe you'll come up with some ideas as we're talking. It's not – I don't want to say that it's content that requires 100% of your attention, although I know some people give that, especially those that watch live and right. interact and ask us questions, which is so much fun. And I encourage more people to do that. Um, but even just listening to it and glancing at what we might talk about from time to time, uh, I know a lot of people do that as well, and they really enjoy when uh, When we it. pull up a picture, see the picture, and then you can look away and
1: and just listen to the commentary. And by the way, the the critique shows, they're at the website too, BehindTheShot.TV. shot.tv. Those do not go in the normal podcast feed for Behind the Shot. Those are only on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. All right. You can go get them there. And Don and I have been doing it now since I think December was our first one. And they really are an
0: amazing amount of fun. And the feedback has been really good. And I love approaching it with not even looking at the images beforehand and just get formulating my ideas as if I've seen the photo for the first time. Um, and uh, that, that's been my approach to it. It's been fun. Um, that's how I
1: prefer to look at images. Unfortunately, because I'm handling the stream, I've got so much on my screen that the image on a 27 inch monitor is maybe four inches big.
0: So I do look in advance and get some ideas on the page. Yeah. Uh, you need another monitor. You need, Five of them surrounding you. That's what I need. Uh, <laughs> I need at least one more. Um, but uh, okay, let, let, let's get into the picks of the week. Um, I, why don't you go first, Steve? Okay, so my pick of the week is is one that I would have considered odd,
1: and I think the way I first found out about it was photo. Joseph mentioned it on who I think has been on your show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joseph, Joseph Lenaschke and photo Joseph is what he goes by. Wonderful guy. Brilliant guy. Actually got to have him back on as well. Yeah. He's so smart. And he mentioned this product on Twitter and I kind of looked at it went, Oh, I need that. And I started examining it and kind of looking at my system and thinking, is it going to work? And finally I just went, you know, I'm going to pull the trigger. I can always return it. If I don't like it, this is not going back. It's a BenQ screen bar plus. And the BenQ Screen Bar Plus, there's three versions actually just the screen bar, which is for a normal desktop computer monitor. It's $99, and the controls are on the light bar. Then there's a laptop one, which is the same idea, but shorter. And then there's the one I have, which is the Screen Bar Plus, which is really a screen bar with dial. That's $129. And what this is, if you think about how you mount, a webcam to your monitor. I don't mean the built-in webcam. Think about how you mount a, a Logitech C920 to your monitor, right? You that, fit it over yeah, the top. A clampy thing. It has a little counterweight that hangs behind it and a little clip on the front to hold it on the front of the monitor. That's what this light bar does. But the light bar is designed with LEDs across it, shooting out at a very narrow angle away from the screen so it actually doesn't shine. It's sitting right over your monitor but it does not shine on the screen, it shines on your desk. And in my office where I have, because I podcast, I have a blackout curtain on my window. And I have a ceiling light that's two hue bulbs, it's not super bright and it's up on the ceiling and behind me, when I just wanna write something or balance a checkbook or whatever, right? I can't see my desk really well. This thing is awesome, it shines right where I write, doesn't affect my screen that much. Um, I mean, it puts a light. Can, can in front you change of it. its angle? It, it looks like you might be able to change that. You can, based on how you move the counterweight up and down, and the mm-hmm. tube rolls just a little teeny bit. Okay. By the way, it's USB powered, so it does run off the power of your computer, which is is good and bad. Uh, it's bad because there were times I came into my office and wanted to do some work on my desk and wanted wanted a light, but my computer wasn't on. I had to turn the computer on. So I've taken an old apple iphone five you know watt power plug and i plug this into that or five milliamp whatever it is uh but here's the other thing the one with the dial has a dial that comes down and sits in front of you on the desk and it has two buttons on it you can change the brightness of the light there's a button to say auto adjust to the ambient light and it will adjust what it thinks is the ambient setting and you can also change it to more of the incandescent yellowish feel or more of the, you know, 5,500 bright white feel. Uh, It's a great light for 129
0: bucks. I I literally love this. thing. Uh, All right. And I mean, it it looks like it would uh, handle itself well in just about any environment. uh, So long as it doesn't hit the screen, you say that it's a very narrow band uh, and you know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I've got a backlit keyboard or I, I really don't like backlit keyboards. Um, so I do, but I need to see the desk itself. Well, it all depends on what you're doing. Uh, yeah. I've had some back uh, backlit keyboards. Like I have a, an Asio keyboard here that's really like retro classic kind of cool looking and it's fun to type on. And I, if you're going to type a lot, make it fun. Um, but I turn the backlight off on it because... Um, It has a refresh rate, whatever LEDs that they used, if my eyes dart back and forth, I see it sparkle or shimmer a little bit. Um, I have the same problem with DLP projectors. Uh, And I know that at least 10% of the population are the same. And there's very few backlit keyboards that avoid that problem. However, uh, the backlit keyboard on, uh, on the device that is my pick of the week does not have this problem, even but though I've been trained. Before you tra- go into yours, I do want yep. to add one last thing on mine. Yes.
1: The, the temperatures are 2,700 to 6,500 that it can so do. So it's adjustable. It is adjustable. And as far as brightness is concerned, if you hit the auto adjust in a normal room, it goes to 500 lux. In a dimly lit room, it'll go to 300 lux. But there is one important thing that was a problem for me. I have a 5K iMac on my left and a 27-inch NEC monitor on my right. And the NEC monitor, because of the way that it self-calibrates, is very deep. My intent was to mount this light on the NEC. It's too deep. What they say on the, on the description page is it will fit a thickness anywhere from 0.4 inches to 1.2 inches, which is 1 to 3 centimeters. This monitor was too deep, so I ended up having to move my webcam so that I could put it on the iMac. So just be use aware gaffer's of that. tape.
0: Gaffer's yeah, tape yeah. is or, your solution. Or glue it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, I was talking about the keyboard on a device, and it's a, it's a much bigger device than just a keyboard. Um, I had a, uh, a hardware failure on my uh, Asus z 9 pe dash. W8WS motherboard, if I remember that correctly off the top of my head, uh, which was a dual Xeon motherboard that my main computer has. And it died on me once before because of VRM, a voltage regulator module, failed, uh, which should not happen on a mission-critical class product. And yet it did. And uh, of course, during the pandemic, it happened again. Now, it's not hard to get one of these motherboards, right? They, they exist everywhere on eBay and, and from other uh, computer uh, resources. They haven't been manufactured in a while. So you're not going to get one on Amazon Prime and replace it the next day. Right. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's failed twice now. I need another one. So I, I need to get that system back up and running but what are my alternatives? And I started looking at desktop replacement devices that are also very key to, uh, photographers, uh, to content creators, something that was powerful enough with the workflows I've established yet portable with a really long battery life and some fun tricks. And I settled on the Microsoft surface book three, uh, which had recently been announced and, uh, And also, and I'll talk about the Surface Book for Business in a minute, which is the version that I got, but, um, and it's more of a service level change than anything substantial in in the hardware, but, um, I got the 15 inch model and so it's got a beautiful screen and attached to a surface dock three or a surface dock two. Um, it can power two 4k 60 external monitors. I have it connected to one right now. Um, and I'm using the, the, uh, the main display on the device as a secondary display when I'm at my desktop. Uh, 32 gigabytes of RAM, and this is 3,733 megahertz uh, LPDDR3, which is pretty fast, right, for especially a for the device that it is yeah. <clears throat> exactly. And 32 gigabytes is a nice amount, uh, with a one terabyte SSD, which is the same as my desktop hat. Uh, I mean, you can get them in higher capacities now, but, um, so that's all well and good. And using Intel's 10th generation, I seven processor, um, that, uh, some people were complaining to say that, uh, well, it's only four cores. Almost all of my creative apps are single core cord, uh, dual cord or quad cord in terms of how they, uh, utilize information. And if it's more than that, a lot of apps are shifting towards GPU processing, uh, for which this has an NVIDIA dedicated GPU in it, no matter, uh, well, if you get the base base model, it doesn't have that, but anything up from that and you get some level of an NVIDIA GPU. And, uh, Because of its design, some people don't like this design. It's a clamshell close, but it doesn't close completely flat um, because the hinge creates a bit of an arc. And so there's some space uh, at the very end where the top of the monitor meets the edge of, of the base. It's closed, but there's space in between going up in a tiny little wedge. What that lets them do is it lets them raise the keys.
1: I was just going to say, because remember the old problems on old laptops where you'd end up with key imprints on the screen.
0: Yes, but it's not just that you don't have the key imprints. You have a higher level of key travel on the keyboard than any other laptop keyboard I've ever typed on. And that makes it a joy to type on just that device alone. Um, So, I've done some workflow tests. Uh, some things are faster than my desktop because they're single threaded. Um, and nothing seems slower. Uh, y- yeah, you can oh, get. Okay. Uh, you said
1: nothing seems slower. Uh-huh. You, I'm, I'm trying to think out loud here. Where would you see a possible uh, drawback compared to the desktop to this? You
0: know, um, this to the desktop. Uh, No upgradability. Uh, I mean, you buy it with video editing. uh, I I was actually the funny thing is it has an NVIDIA GPU where my desktop has an AMD GPU. So I can process ProRes RAW in Adobe Premiere. And I've done some tests on that. um, And it works flawlessly where it doesn't work at all on my desktop. Now, if I had an NVIDIA GPU, it would work on my desktop. Then that's where the disparity is. Uh, But it had no problem dealing with 5.9K ProRes RAW video. Um, now, if I was to be using my desktop uh, with CPU only rendering uh, on, uh, uh, on NVIDIA uh, or on uh, Premiere Pro versus CPU only rendering on, on this new laptop, uh, the laptop would lose because right, just right. more cores and just more, but that's, the the, the flight It doesn't matter because that's not the situation. Because, because a lot of stuff is now using the GPU and uh, I have been uh, experimenting. I have been doing all of my work, working on my book, editing images, processing video, all on this device. I haven't seen a reason to go back to my desktop, with the only exception being that I forgot to copy some files off of that hard drive. And I've had to go back and plug the keyboard back into it in order to just pull that stuff back and in the transition towards this device. For those that don't know, the Surface Book is not a laptop. Uh in the traditional sense. A laptop has all the guts of the computer in the base of it and the screen up top. Uh, the Surface Book has the processor, RAM, hard drive, everything it needs to run in the screen like a tablet. Uh, and a battery. Uh, it also has an additional bigger battery and the GPU in the base, and the two are separable. I can press a button and disconnect the display from the base. And that means I can use it as a tablet device uh, if I wanted to do that. At 15 inches, it gets a bit unwieldy and there's a bit of a bigger uh, bevel around it so that it makes it easier to hold it without touching the screen. Some people have been complaining about that, but I think it's necessary for the way this device actually works. Um, And you can put it on backwards and you could fold it back down. And this is something that I've been wanting to experiment with and I will do in an upcoming editing session because Microsoft has the really cool Surface Pen right and you i'm I, it Kate, okay, down uh a downside you have to buy it separately uh i don't same know why they don't same as apple's pencil yeah I mean. and i wish that these things were included by default um but it works marvelously well and i could imagine if i'm using i could be using the um uh the the surface uh device itself the screen as like a, a wacom cintiq and be using that as a screen that I can draw on while I have all of my other peripherals and things attached to it. And so for things like dodging and burning and editing images in certain ways, I think that could be a huge advantage using the pen. And it's a workflow that I haven't really embraced before, because it was always, well, you need this extra thing, you need this extra device that's expensive, and it only works in this one setting. And if your workflow is then uh, adapted to that, if you kind of pick up your machine and you go somewhere else you only know this one workflow you can't carry it through well it's all in one machine now and uh so the the testing continues but i with everything that i've done using it as my only real computer my other computer still on Uh, I, I'd leave it on for folding at home purposes. (laughs) That's the only reason it's, it's folding proteins and, uh, doing molecular dynamic simulations to find vaccines for COVID-19. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, I don't think I really need it anymore. And so that's interesting. And by the way, these things are really good for,
1: you know, in the photography space. Yes. But imagine all the other. You know job descriptions that fit this. You're an insurance agent going out to look at at, at something, and you're taking notes on it, and you can handhold it. You are a property manager, and you're inspecting a rental property that you rent out. You are. I mean, there's a million reasons. You're an artist, and you just want to sit in a park and draw on it. There's a lot of workflow
0: advantages to the form factor that that device has. And and moreover, I wanted to talk about the Surface for Business brand that Microsoft has created as well. Uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between the regular Surface products and the business products in most cases, but there are three notable ones. Uh, one is it comes with Windows 10 Pro versus Home, which might be important to some people, but the uh, defective product warranty process is different. With a regular Surface, you have to send your device back to Microsoft. When they receive it, they will send you another one. Under the business brand, which typically costs $100 more per product, regardless right. of what it is that you're buying, you're given an extra $100. And in that, Microsoft will send you a replacement When you receive it, you can copy all of your data from one to the other, so long as you do so in a timely manner, I assume. And then you send the defective or broken product back. And I think that in terms of uptime and productivity, that's really important because you make the call and the new one gets sent out to you right away. They drop Uh, ship it. Yeah. Uh, And and that that I... have If I'm using it for work, if I'm using it for a business perspective, having a large company standing behind their products like that, I'm willing to pay a little extra for it. Well,
1: and here's the other thing doing what I do with IT stuff. I don't ever, I have clients who will go to Best Buy and buy a computer for their office. And I'm like, why did you do that? Because they get it with Windows Home. Everybody, I believe even home users, greatly benefit in many ways from Windows 10 Pro, the Pro Edition. And for a lot of cases... That's a huge chunk, more money you're getting that for the hundred bucks, plus you get the better coverage, better support, better warranty. Uh, in my opinion, regardless of your need, buy something that is designed
0: for a pro and and uh, the workflow around it is designed for a pro and you'll always be better off. And there is Windows 10 Pro for workstations, which I do not need on this device. It adds a few extra features like the ReFS, which is not standard in any way right now for Microsoft. It has better journaling and recovery abilities, uh, but you can't use it as a boot device. Um, and, uh, things like that, the non-volatile RAM modules that are basically like an SSD that plugs into the RAM socket, uh, in compatible, uh, computer motherboards, which of course this device wouldn't have either. Um, but having more capabilities in your computer, uh, just by the virtue of that home versus pro, uh, just take advantage of it. Uh, you can upgrade, too. If you're using Windows uh, uh, Windows 10 Home, I, I don't know what the cost is to upgrade, but you can do it right within the OS. You can buy an, an upgrade license through the Microsoft Store, and that might be worth it to some people as well. I agree. All right. Well, that is the show. Uh, thank you, Steve. Always fun, my uh, friend. Always fun. It's a highlight of my week when I get to talk to you. And just, I mean, I I almost don't want to to mention it, but we are recording this on June 19th, uh, which is traditionally Juneteenth. Um, And if you're not familiar with what that means, uh, look it up. Go to uh, uh, juneteenth.com. I I use that as a reference just to find a good source of information because we are not only in a pandemic right now, but we are also having a movement uh, in in the Black Lives Matter. And I, I don't want to say that I've been silent on this topic, but I'm a white male. Uh, as are you, Steve, I, I have, I have ingrained in the society around me, white privilege. I didn't ask for it, but I have it. And I think that's a problem. Uh, I think that. <laughs> I, if, if I were to have applied for a job, would I have gotten it if my skin color was different? Or if my name implied a different skin color? Exactly. Uh, if, I, if I had asked for a raise, would I have gotten it or not? Would I have had the opportunities today in my life if I was anything but a white male? And I, I don't know. I mean, because I'm only what I am, but I do know that society has proven time and time again that there are disadvantages of not being of what I am, and I do not think that is right in any possible way. And so Juneteenth was uh, basically, uh, to go back into the U.S. uh, history, uh, the uh, the Emancipation... uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. Yes. Uh, Big words uh, from President Lincoln back on January 21st of 1863, basically freed the slaves. Note the year 1863. 1863. But it was only June 19th of 1865 when uh, states like Texas were actually freeing their slaves. And that's a huge disparity.
1: And specifically because it wasn't until 1865 that the Union Army got to Texas to let the slaves in Texas know they'd been free already for two years.
0: Yeah. And And they uh, didn't know that. There's tons of stories as to exactly why. Uh, None of them could be right. One of them might be. We don't really know what that level of history is because that was written by white people. And again, that's part of this whole problem. Uh, So, I, I mean- what do I do? How, how do I even things out? Uh, well, I mean, I, I donate money to charitable causes all the time. I donate to my local food bank. That helps people in need around me. Uh, I've donated to the uh, NAACP uh, as well in the past. And and I would encourage people to do that because they are working hard to make sure that there is equality in certain... Uh, that's the National Association for the Advancement uh, of Colored People. Um, and I think we should all... Uh, stand up and take notice of this movement. I wish it happened last year or 10 years ago, or I mean, I don't, it shouldn't have taken this long. No, for this to happen. And now it's happening. And finally, brands are changing. Uh, you know, common brands that have profited off of black faces uh, from traditional <laughs> slavery times. I mean, I can't believe that still existed and was still allowed to happen. Well, and we um, act like all this was so long Cleveland ago. Indians, come on, guys. I mean, yeah, this. Sp- Sports teams really have to step up now they haven't done that yet and, and uh, they're, they're, nobody's showing up to those indians games i think we, we act like this was so long ago in my lifetime the civil
1: rights amendment did not exist right i mean and i ain't that yeah. old so here's the thing not being a racist is great being anti-racist is better right these are, this is not a political issue to me. I can only speak for me. This is not a political issue. This is just a human issue
0: in yeah. that. I, I, if, I hate I, going into politics. We avoided yes. it on this show, but this is not a political but, issue. This is treating this is everybody. Political.
1: We need yeah, everybody. I, it's not a matter of your, your privilege is, is at risk. No, we just want everybody else to have the same privilege, not take yours away. We just need to rise everybody up. Because the fact somebody has more melanin in their skin
0: really doesn't make a difference. Right now. And then people come back with the statement, all lives matter in response to black lives matter. And while I agree in theory that all lives matter, all lives have not mattered equally. And so when you say black lives matter, you are specifically stating that they have been uh, under the foot of white people quite literally for many yes. years. And now we have to fix that problem. That is the problem that w- we need to fix right now. now it's just races, what needs the
1: attention. And the best analogy the that I heard, this is a, such a good analogy. And that is, if you go to the doctor with a broken arm, your right arm is broken, and you go to the doctor, you don't get mad that he doesn't put a cast on your left arm. All <laughs> arms <laughs> matter. It's just that the right arm needs the attention
0: because it's broken. Right. Exactly. Now I want to say racism is systemic globally. There are countries in Africa that are racist to white people. There are countries in Asia that are racist to white and black people. There's racism everywhere and it should stop universally. But right now in North America, that's not the issue. The issue is the racism against black people and it has to stop. I don't, Think you should defund the police, and that maybe that's getting a little bit political. But you should reform them in a way, which that is really be- what that movement means, and they're just using a bad marketing term. Exactly, and and I think that we need to start with the people of authority and the people in leadership roles, and the people that actually make decisions, and convince them of that. Now, I don't think that means rioting in the streets. I have no uh, no appreciation for people that. Uh, destroy property, and hurt other peoples in order to get their point across. You're fighting fire with fire. You need to fight fire with water in many different ways. And if it comes back at you uh, because somebody else then decides to become violent, it just proves your point further, and you get further ahead as a result. I Let's just clearly state up front, protests and riots are two different
1: things. Yes. Okay. One can become another, but they are not One the same can thing. become another, but in general, protesters and rioters are should not be lumped together. They are two completely different things. And we have always had riots and people, if a store is, un, you know, if they walk by your house and your door is unlocked, they may walk in and try and take something that's existed forever. And it always will. Um, the main thing is just do a little research on Juneteenth. Educate yep. yourself a little bit and i appreciate you you're bringing this up actually because you know talking about it is a key right this this can't it just is.
0: this can't fade away at this point now's uh, got to be uh, the time it has to be the time and again if you could pick one time in history that would be the worst possible time to do this in terms of public safety uh, now would be that time but Also, do I think it's the wrong time to do it? No, I don't. I think that now we have the momentum, we have the movement and the straws that broke the camel's back uh, have fallen this year and they continue to fall. And it's just been happening for way too long. And uh, this is me speaking up, saying that I I am supporting uh, the efforts of the good, genuine people. Uh, This is not just happening in the US. It's happening in Canada. It's happening everywhere. And it has to stop. I have supported companies, uh, uh, organizations, and charities, all that are in this movement for years. Uh, I've always made that a mandate for myself that the world has to be a better place. But in order for the world to be a better place, we have to live in the world that we want in order for that world to then exist. And so we are the voices of the change that we want to see in the world. And let your voice be heard right now to anybody around you that is capable of making changes. You see an injustice right now. Talk to a politician that would be shamed if that was Uh, made to come to light that they were not acting on something because the more change that we can have right now on this movement, the more momentum that movement has, the better off things will be. The Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 was a great step forward, but it took years before everyone actually felt that benefit. You know, when women had the right to vote, it was years before they could actually really do that on mass before black and white were truly allowed to enjoy the exact same facilities public facilities even it took so many years and and even once it was technically allowed there were so many people that would frown on that from the lighter side Uh, and or block it and it's just we've gotten so much better and there's me
1: let me add to what don's saying here just to say before i start getting tweets saying stay in your lane and talk about photography first of all my first lane is always being a human My first lane is being a citizen of humanity. That's before photography, but more importantly, I have a, I I have a saying that I like, and to some people it, it may go, you know, beyond them. I don't know. And that is silence amplifies the, the hate silence amplifies what's wrong. So you are a human, you need to, you need to speak up and at least be heard over photography.
0: Yes. And I mean, there is that common colloquialism. I forget who originally phrased it, but, uh, you know, evil happens when good men do nothing. And I, right. uh, you know, it's happened for too long. Uh, and I have had a voice on certain topics, uh, regarding this. And, and I have many people of any ethnicity that are friends of mine. And I've said that on a previous podcast, I, I don't, I mean, I obviously I see it, but I don't compute it. People are people. Some of my best friends are people. You know, it's like everybody's people just treat everybody like my best friends
1: are robot pig cameras. Yeah,
0: (laughs) there you go. Um, Solving this is not like flipping a light switch. It's a bunch of small changes that over time and unfortunately generations has the impact that we need it to have. Yeah. Our job as people in society that want to see society become better for us as photographers and as human beings is to support every little change. Because the little changes become the big ones. And the big ones don't happen without the little support. And participating is part of it.
1: So again, to me, all that we've just said isn't politics. Do not infer my political bend from anything that we've said. To me, it is humanity. That's all that it is. The people who live around me, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my community, they all deserve the same privileges that I have without thought.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. And we're, we're going to get there. I just wish it was already here. And I don't know when it's going to come, but we're fighting for it. And everybody that's fighting peacefully, uh, letting their opinions be known and, and uh, affording change, especially by supporting organizations that are at the forefront of this change. Uh, thank you. And thank you to everybody that's been listening to this podcast. And so at this point, let's get back to photography because now we need to stay in and shoot.